here this morning as we're doing something a little bit different today. Um, it was requested of me this year to do some lessons in regards to faith building uh, in terms of, of belief in, in God, but not specifically like, okay, but show me, prove to me that there's a God, but more surrounding some of the commands of what Jesus gives, what God tells us to do, are the characteristics that the Bible presents about God logical and worthy of obeying and, and following? And, and so what I'm going to be doing in some of these lessons is observing what are considered key problems, uh, criticisms, and issues that those who are in the world have against God. Not that they're saying that there is no God, but that if there is a God like you're portraying, then here's my problems that I have with that. And so uh, this morning's lesson is going to be the problem of God's glory. And now you, you might kind of read that and go, why would that be a problem? What's, what's the big deal about that? And uh, in a moment, I will show you the, the typical uh, arguments and criticisms uh, about that. But I want just for a moment what was just read for us in Matthew chapter 10 to, to sink in for a moment so that you can feel the weight of what these, these critics say, when you have Jesus saying, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Here are some of the things that are said about these ideas, about the glory of God and the idea that that people should forsake everything to follow him. So here is Jesus saying, love me more than you would love anyone in the world. And if you if you don't, you are not worthy of me. In other words, if you don't love me more than you love anyone, you will never have a life giving relationship with me. And the effects of that, as he says elsewhere, will be catastrophic. And the speaker, Eric Reese, says, that is an egomaniac talking. I want you to think about what he's saying for a minute. Somebody walking around saying, you need to listen to me and follow me and forsake everything else. And all glory belongs to me and your attention should be on me and on nothing else. He goes, that's an egomaniac. Who would ever accept such a person walking around talking like that, like Jesus talked? Brad Pitt brought this up, and I mean the Brad Pitt, yes, the celebrity. He said this in, in Parade Magazine. He said, religion works. I know there's comfort there, a crash pad. It's something to explain the world and tell you there is something bigger than you, and it's going to be all right in the end. It works because it's comforting. I grew up believing in it, and it worked for me in whatever my little personal high school crisis was. But it didn't last for me. I didn't understand this idea of a God who says, you have to acknowledge me. You have to say that I'm the best and then I'll give you eternal happiness. And if you won't, then you don't get it. It seemed to be about ego. I can't see God operating from ego. So it made no sense to me. See the problem again. How can you have a God who's saying it's all about me? 
Isn't that egotistical and arrogant? Isn't that ego? Isn't that pride? Isn't that the very thing you say is wrong? How can that be a character of Christic of God? Oprah Winfrey on her TV show said similarly. Here she is talking about her experience as she was in, in church and the preacher was talking about all the various characteristics of God, all present, all knowing and all that. And then he said, the Lord thy God is a jealous God. I was caught up in the rapture of that moment until he said jealous and something struck me. I was 27 or 28 and I was thinking God is all, God is omnipotent, God is also jealous. A jealous God is jealous of me. Something about that didn't feel right in my spirit because I believe that God is love. and That God is in all things. And that was her reason for the rejection of what is traditional Christianity as we know it. Michael Prouse, Financial Times. Worship is an aspect of religion that I always found difficult to understand. Suppose we postulate an omnipotent being who, for reasons inscrutable to us, decided to create something other than himself. Why should he expect us to worship him? We didn't ask to be created. Our lives are often troubled. We know that human tyrants puffed up with pride, crave adulation and homage. But a morally perfect God would surely have no character defects. So why are all those people on their knees every Sunday? The problem of the glory of God again. How can this God be calling for people to worship him and glorify him? Human tyrants do that. And surely God isn't a tyrant like humans who would demand that kind of praise and that kind of worship of him. By the way, C.S. Lewis says that was also his problem of what kept him from considering Christianity. Two quotes from him. Then we'll talk about this some more. C.S. Lewis said, when I first began to draw near to belief in God, even for some time after it had been given to me, I found a stumbling block in the demand so clamorously made by all religious people that we should praise God. Still more in the suggestion that God himself demanded it. We all despise the man who demands continued assurance of his own virtue, intelligence, or delightfulness. We despise still more the crowd of people around every dictator, every millionaire, every celebrity who gratify that demand. Thus, a picture at once ludicrous and horrible, both of God and his worshipers, threatened to appear in my mind. And the Psalms were especially troublesome in this way. Because think about the Psalms. What do all the Psalms say? Praise him. Praise him. Praise him. Praise him. How can that possibly work? He also said the miserable idea that God should in any sense need or crave our worship like a vain woman wanting compliments or a vain author presenting his new books to people who never met or heard of him is implicitly answered by the words. If I be hungry, I will not tell thee. Even if such an absurd deity could be conceived, he would hardly come to us, the lowest of rational creatures, to gratify his appetite. I love this. I don't want my dog to bark approval of my books. (laughs) You get the idea of what he's getting at. Why should the creation do this? This doesn't make any sense. Why is God constantly saying, you need to worship me, you need to praise me, you need to glorify me? Isn't that a character defect? Isn't that a flaw 
Isn't it the very thing we hate in human beings is walking around saying, look at me, look at me, praise me, honor me. I'm amazing. He says even human tyrants are that way. And we can't stand the thought of those things. So how can God possibly do that? And I want to just take a minute to show their criticisms are not inaccurate reflections of the scriptures because the scriptures do say all over the place to worship him, praise him, and glorify him. That's not an inaccurate presentation of the scriptures. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and do what? Glorify, your, <laughs> to go, give glory to God, your Father who's in heaven. Same thing. So even Jesus is walking around saying, that's, that's what you're doing. So how are we supposed to look at something like this? Since this is clearly a key issue that many people put their finger on about the character and the nature of God. Is this something that is worthy of our rejection? Because these characteristics of God just shouldn't make sense. Why is he constantly claiming the need for glory and worship and praise? So this morning we're going to talk about a a, a couple of things from a couple of passages and the, the first thing I want us to consider in this two-part answer in, in, in looking at why God would call for humanity to praise him and glorify him, why God would be jealous of us, why he would tell us that we need to do these kinds of things, is I would like for you to think about the idea that as humans, we are wired with this characteristic to praise the things that we enjoy. If you'll notice that, If you think about your life, you can't help but have come out of your mouth some kind of praise that you want to tell other people about when you enjoy something amazing. Let's just be real low level about that. You go to a great restaurant and you glorify the restaurant by going there and you tell everybody we went to this amazing restaurant it was so good and you even glorify your server and give them a good tip you might even write on the note or tell them in person you did a great job you need and you go tell other people you need to get that server at that restaurant because it was absolutely fantastic and you will not be disappointed we we have within us this need to praise what we enjoy. Um, You might do that with your car sometimes. Your car like crosses a great milestone. It hits like 200,000 miles and you're like, you won't believe my car. 200,000 miles, still going, no major work on it. In fact, if you're my age or, or, or older, you might remember even Toyota had a car commercial for a while where it was showing actual owners and it would say their car hit 300,000. You remember then they would jump in the air and they'd freeze frame it and say, you need to buy a Toyota because look at the joy that they're expressing because their car lasted for so long. You tell everybody about it. Even if you enjoy a TV show or a movie, what do you do? You tell other people about the enjoyment, the experience that you had for what you were watching. We do this in so many different ways. You take a great vacation You share the pictures and you tell everybody, here's what great thing we saw or great thing we did. We are wired to praise what we enjoy. And I want you to think about how that is found all over the scriptures as well. 
For example, when people are healed by Jesus, what do you see them always doing? Praising. So they, they just start praising God. In fact, it is somewhat interesting to note there are times in the scriptures, like in Mark 7, where Jesus will say, Now I just healed you, don't tell anybody. And what does it always say after that? They went and told everybody anyway. <laughs> And some of you read that and go, you disobeyed God. What's the matter with you? But there is something being expressed there. It's trying to show when we as human beings encounter something so amazing, so enjoyable, you can't stop the person from praising. You can't stop the person from saying something. It doesn't feel right to let that joy just terminate on ourselves. We need to tell other people. And so we tell them about the things that we've enjoyed. And that's certainly true when it comes to the spiritual realm. And that's what you're seeing when Jesus says, don't tell anybody. And they go around telling everybody. Now, I don't have time for this point, but I'm going to quickly make it because what we're going to do is talk about this more in our upcoming Wednesday night class as we're just about complete with our survey of the scriptures. But I want to put this out here for you because I think this is really important. That's all evangelism is. Sometimes we think of evangelism as like being big programs and big ideas and big rollouts. And we'll hire a blimp that will, you know, drop pamphlets all over the place. And, you know, we'll shoot invitations out of the church, you know, building. And, that, you know, everybody will come. And we think of evangelism like this kind of thing like that. And I want you to think about, you know, the scriptures never stop and say, you must go tell your neighbor about Jesus. There's not these commands like this. You, you get the, the Great Commission. And that's kind of about it. There's not this, okay, and thou shalt be sure to tell your coworker about God. Why not? Why isn't the book of Acts or Paul's letters just filled with these commands of evangelism? I think the reason why is this. Because what you enjoy, you praise. And if you're enjoying God, you won't have a choice but to share it. It's just the natural outcome. That God, in talking about evangelism, is doing nothing more than asking you to do what you do with a TV show or a good meal or anything else that you enjoy in life. You're just going to tell other people about the thing that you're enjoying. That's all that God is getting at. So I want us to have that first picture that's given for us here is that simply the idea of Praise is that we would praise what we enjoy. God's command to praise is not that he needs our feeble praise. Now, it's not like he's up there in heaven. And if enough people don't praise him today, it's really going to mess up his day today. And he's just really going to be grouchy. That's not the visual of God. That's not the function of why God talks about praise. It is a natural explosion that comes out of us. It's the culmination of our joy that we experience. And God is telling us, open your mouths about the great joy that you are experiencing. Express the satisfaction that you are enjoying in God. Which leads them to the second big idea. Is that God's glory is for our good. And I think this sets an important understanding about why God calls all of the world to praise him, to glorify him, and to worship him. Now, if you've been with us on Sunday nights, you know that God's always talking like that. In fact, 
Just recently in Ezekiel, we saw a whole chapter where God talked about, I'm going to act for my glory, for my name's sake, I'm going to act. And you can find that in the prophets all over the place where God's constantly saying, I'm going to do this for my name. I'm going to do this for my praise. I'm going to do this for my honor. I'm doing this for me. And I understand why we would have a resistance to that because when humans do that, that's a bad thing. When humans do things for their own glory and their own nature, then we go, oh no, that's going to be bad for everybody. But I want us to think about what this means in terms of God doing this. Because when God speaks of calling for people to praise and he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to act on my behalf. I want you to think about what's the alternative if God doesn't act on his own behalf? What's he going to act on? And I submit to you, the only other option is acting on what we've done. He either is going to act on what we've done or he's going to act on his own name. And it doesn't take long to think about yourself and think about the scriptures to know you don't want God acting on your actions. You don't want God acting on the basis of your righteousness. That's one of the blessings of what you are reading is when God says in scriptures, I'm acting for my name, it's a sense of relief. Because he's noting and chronicling, here are all the sins of humanity. You don't want me to act on your behalf and do what is is your righteousness or your deeds. So I'll act on my account and my behalf. I will do that for me. We should want God... To act on his own account. We should want him to act. Not on the basis of my actions. I don't want him to do that. Anytime I ever do a lesson. And I start talking about that. God's going to judge you. Based on every word and deed you've said. Like the New Testament says. When you let those words rest. Everybody goes. I don't want that. Every word, everything I've done, you know, I want God just to judge the good things. And God goes, it doesn't work like that. I'm going to judge you for every careless word and every act that's been done. And so when we hear God say, I'm going to not act because of your actions, but I'm going to act for my own name, for my own glory and my own honor. That is ultimately a positive because we do not want to stand before God on the day of judgment with it being on the basis of self, which leads to this important idea that God acting for his glory is always for our good. And I think that's the struggle. If I were to pinpoint what all of those quotations are putting their finger on, I think it's this. If you talk about a person acting for their own glory, that always then results in the harm or destruction of somebody else. That's like what C.S. Lewis is talking about and also um, the Financial Times. Is a dictator saying, I'm going to act for my own glory. We all go, oh no. (laughs) 
Oh, we do not want that. Please, no, we do not want you to act for your own name, for your own honor, and for your own glory. So it's hard for us to hear this when God says this. But I think what is important to think about is when God says it, his acting for his own glory always turns out to be what is right, good, fair, and just for us. That's what makes God so amazing and so radically different from anything we've ever known or heard of. If a human being says, all right, I'm going to do it because of me, you'd go, man, that's selfish. Man, that's awful. What pride, what arrogance. But what's fascinating is that every time God says, I'm going to act for my name and my glory, it always translates into being for the good of the world. Let me show you two examples because I don't have time to show you a million of them. I'll just give you two. How about two, two examples? In John chapter 12 and verse 23, Jesus says this interesting phrase. The hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Now, if you've read John's gospel, you might remember what his context is of what his glorification meant. Jesus says, now is the hour for my glorification. What's he talking about? His crucifixion. You know, the hour of his glorification was not, I'm going to do something crazy now. You know, I'm going to fly like a bird and you're all going to you know, bow down and worship me. He never does something like that. No, his glorification is always comes in serving the creation. That is what is just stunning about the character of God. When he says, I'm going to act for my glory. That is always in terms of serving his creation. That's what we're just not used to. When people are about their glory, that has nothing to do with serving other people. But when it comes to God, that's exactly what happens. In fact, fast forward in your mind one chapter to John 13. Jesus is in the upper room with all of his disciples. And this amazing scene happens where Jesus sets aside his robe. He fills a basin of water. He ties a towel around his waist. He takes on the picture of a servant and he gets down and begins to start washing the feet of all of the disciples. By the way, don't forget, at that point, Judas is still in the twelfth. It's just I, I, you know, I, I would have been like everybody. And then I come to Judas and go, not you, buddy. Not you. He's washing the feet of every disciple. He gets to Peter. You might remember Peter goes, uh-uh. <laughs> you, you're not going to walk. He understands what's going on here. You're the son of God. You shouldn't be washing my feet. And you might remember Jesus has a, an amazing response there. If you don't let me wash your feet, you don't have any part with me. This glorification is all about serving his creation. That's what's so shocking about the glory of God. In fact, when that scene is done in John 13, and then he tells Judas, do what you're going to do quickly. The very next declaration we're told in John 13, 31, Jesus says this. Now is the son of man glorified. I want you to think about this. He didn't say that on the cross. Or now the son of man will be glorified. 
in the serving of the creation by washing their feet in that symbolism, he says, now the son of man is glorified. You might even remember Jesus said the son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve. His whole purpose in glorification is the serving of others. And you see that glory in that. In fact, the miracles are a presentation of that. Jesus does a miracle and what happens? People glorify God. But have you ever thought about how there's not a single miracle that Jesus does that is simply wow factor miracle? You know, like, watch this. I can make a mountain flip over upside down. Uh, watch this. I can uh, make make it be dark at, at uh, 10 in the morning. Watch, you know. Watch this, I can fly like a bird. Watch this, I can... There's never any activity of Jesus that is a personal glorification. Hey, look at me. That's that's what humans do. Every miracle, every miracle was for the creation. Every miracle served, didn't it? Every miracle had something That was for the good of the recipient. That you never have him doing a wow factor. Yeah, look at me. I can do this. I mean, I make that point all the time is, you know, when Jesus on the cross and they're like, hey, if you're the son of son of man, if you are who you say you are, come down. I would have been like with human thinking, you betcha. Here I come. Watch this. No problem. He doesn't do it. Or. When you have the disciples at the betrayal and they all get ready to pull swords. Remember what Jesus says about why you should put your sword back? If I wanted to, I could call legions of angels. He could. But he didn't do things for self-glorification. It was always for the serving. So what I'm going to do in the final final minutes I see you all bending yourselves. That's good. It's not just me. I catch fire. In the in the final few minutes, what I want to do, I, what you're going to see is I'm going to do this a little bit different. Usually, like the the white screen's like the one big point, but I thought I should say this like a lot of different ways, and maybe one of these will work for for you in the idea of I think what is the right answer in thinking about the glorification of God. Why we should praise him and worship him and why that is not a character defect, why that's not a problem, but actually the best thing ever. So a bunch of different ways to go about this. Number one, reason why we should not say Jesus is an egomaniac, like the first quote, because when he's glorified or he is glorified when he does good for us. It's amazing to think about this nature of God. He is glorified when he does good for us. And therefore we enjoy him and are satisfied in his goodness, leading us to praise him and tell others. What you have is a a picture of, I am worthy of praise because I am functioning for your good. And everything that I do is for your good. Every action is for your good. And my, even my glory is even for your good. And so the reason why 
He's not an egomaniac is because God is glorified when he does good for us. We enjoy that good. And then we turn and praise him for that. Say it another way. That's what Ephesians chapter one is talking about. Ephesians one keeps saying to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. Nearly every other line is to the praise of his glory. Have you ever noticed the what is to the praise of his glory? It always says, well, you were adopted and you were redeemed and you have been made children. He starts talking about in Shepherd, here's all the things you are to the praise of his glory. So again, everything God does for his glory is always for our good. And the same thing here, our purpose then is to glorify God because true joy and satisfaction is found in him alone. That's what he's proclaiming to us. Your glory, your joy, your happiness, your satisfaction is found in God. And that is why your purpose is to glorify him is because you're just going to enjoy the goodness of God. I'll say it another way. God tells us to praise him because this is the only way life works right for us. That's what we just did in the Proverbs, right? We did Stormproof. What are the Proverbs saying? you will fear God, if you will look to him, if you'll give him your life, if you will give him that honor and glory and submit to him, that's the way life works right. And you will then enjoy and see the goodness of God in your life and you will enjoy it and you'll express it and you'll praise it. So God is glorified when we delight in him and we experience what he's done for us. This is what God's trying to get us to see over and over again is he's glorified by our delighting in him. Isn't that strange? I want you to think about that. The way God has made things, the glory comes to him because we see him as all satisfying. We come to him and we find that joy and that rest and that peace and that satisfaction. We enjoy what he's offering and that gives him glory because now our lives are made full. Our lives are made complete. Or to deal with the way Oprah worded it. God is jealous for you because he wants a relationship with you. And I I, I appreciate the pause that she had in that. God is jealous for me. That should be head scratching. That should be jaw dropping. It, It is a love that passes understanding. That's what Paul is getting at in Ephesians 3. I want you to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I've always loved that line. I want you to know the love of Christ that can't be known. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to try. Because this is one of those parts that is hard to get at. Because in our human way of thinking, if I have a creation that I know full well is going to be rebellious and awful and hateful and terrible, I would just say, never mind. And would I ever have a, decide to have a creation that would willfully and knowingly kill my only son? But God is that jealous of us. He so wants us to have a relationship with him. Because true life is only in that relationship. Fullness of life. Goodness. 
is only found in that and not found anywhere else. And so what God is trying to do is, in essence, stand on his head and beg us your joy and your good and your life and your fullness and your satisfaction and everything you want in life is in me. So I'm asking you to look for it in me. Have a relationship with me. I'm going to give you something you cannot begin to understand. I'm going to say it another way. God demands your worship because worshiping him is where your greatest joy and satisfaction are found. God's not up there going, worship me. I, I want your worship. You know, he's not some tyrant emperor. Because I just need, I need to, you know, have that praise. Because God knows your greatest joy and satisfaction are found in that worship. That's what's hard for us to get. And that's why the glory of God's a stumbling block. Why does God want your whole life to be devoted to him? Because we said God's got two options. He can either act on behalf of his own glory or act on what you've done. So which do we want? God wants your whole life devoted to him because that's the only way to keep us from experiencing the righteous judgment that we deserve. We have all hurt people. We have all sinned. We have all fallen way short of the glory of God. We have not fulfilled our purpose. We are all deserving of judgment and wrath. And so God has said, I want your life to be devoted to me so that you don't have to experience that. God lives for his own glory because his glory always results in what is right and good for us. Now, let me show you one passage. And then I think there's only one more slide after that of this flurry that I keep giving you. I want you to see the Apostle Paul said this. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 11, to this end, we also pray for you always that our God will consider you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness. Notice your calling and walking worthy of the calling is a fulfillment of all this desire of goodness and work of faith with power. And notice what this results in. So that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him in accordance with the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's even putting it that way. Your greatest good is in the glory of God and God is glorified when you understand that. When you are living out that purpose, when you understand who he is and you find your joy and satisfaction in him, that glorifies God. And now you're walking worthy of the calling and now he's glorified in you and you're glorified in him. It's a beautiful picture. That's not just this one dimensional way of praise. So that's why when God says, praise me. This is not out of a begrudging obligation. Well, God says we've got to praise him. So, all right, I guess we better praise him. Yes, we get some songs out that say praise him. Otherwise, we're going to be in trouble around here. And we all don't want to be in trouble, right? So let's all praise him. God's not looking for this frame of worship or praise that says, okay, we have to do. And and here's here's the sad thing. 
For far too long, God's worship has been portrayed this way. God's just happy that you're sitting in a pew today. (laughs) High fives to each of us. We sang four songs. We took the Lord's Supper. We heard a sermon. We prayed. So, you know, God's off our back for another week. All right. How often is church presented that way? We have to go to church. It's Sunday. We have to do this. We got to praise him. We have to worship. I want to just stress, that is not what God wants. And it is not what God's talking about. Rather, he wants our praise because we've experienced his overflowing goodness. And you can't help but tell him and tell everybody else. That's all it is. Just like you liking that vacation or TV show. And you have to say something about it. God says, you won't believe what you'll enjoy with me. And you'll have to say something about it. Because our greatest joy always terminates in vocalizing praise. And that's why God says, praise me and glorify me. Not because he's, as C.S. Lewis says, a vain woman scraping around for various praises. But because he knows if you will start the path of looking to him, you will have such pleasure, such satisfaction, and such lasting joy, you won't be able to help it. And that's the offer of what God has for you today. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, there is no God like you. Humans would not create a God who would function always for our good. Lord, we know that the things that human humans conjure are always about selfish glorification, pride. And Lord, it is stunning to see your character that you would create us sinful as we are. And then give your own son so that we could be redeemed, that we could be saved, so that we could enjoy lasting satisfaction, eternal joy. And that that would cause us to praise you. Lord, you are magnificent. And we thank you for how you have served us in that way. Lord, we praise you that your glory came through the cross. We praise you that your glory comes through sacrificing yourself. We praise you because your glory came through serving us, healing us, reconciling us. And Lord, that we pray that we would find our true joy in you. Help us to see, Lord, that there is nothing in this life satisfying but you. There is no hope outside of you. 
that all pleasures, all goodness, and all joy is in you and in you alone. Help us to see it, Lord, and forgive us for how often we veer off of that. Forgive us for how often we try to find our joy and satisfaction and pleasures and sins, that we cave into temptations, we listen to our desires. Lord, thank you for your son that forgives us of that. And Lord, I pray that we would be a people whose praise of you would be on our lips. Lord, help us to praise you in a way that is worthy of your honor and your glory. And give us the zeal to tell others about what we've experienced in you. Forgive us for when we have not praised you as we should. When we have not thanked you. When we have not glorified who you are. And Lord, forgive us for refusing to tell others about the good things that we have enjoyed. Oh, Lord, thank you so much for your glory that does so much for us. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll sing an invitation song now, and we do invite you to come to Jesus to see his, his work is just magnificent, that what he has done in his life, that his glory would come through sacrifice. His glory would come through you having a relationship with him. He wants to have that with you. He wants to forgive you. He wants you to find healing and joy in the relationship that's found in him because it's not found anywhere else. Would you give him your life today? Turn away from sin. Be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. If you're ready to do that, you can talk to us afterward or if you need help in any way, you can come forward as well while we stand and while we sing.